0: Original content, compelling discussions, audio on demand. This is a podcast 225 production. Synonyms of the word change change, alter, make different, become different, adjust. And every day we evolve, we adapt, we change. And this is where we talk about it. This is the Clay Young Show.
1: Thanks, Neil. So, how you
0: doing?
1: Welcome back to the Clay Young Show here on Podcast225.com. iTunes, the iHeartMedia app, and airing on weekends on Talk 107.3 FM in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm Clay, and today we will talk about politics. Joining me in studio will be John Cuvion with JMC Analytics And we're going to talk about some of the regional politics happening here around Louisiana's capital city and the presidential election that is going to suck all of the air out of every room in fairly short order. It's been interesting to watch some of this go on as we record this. It's September 11th and I'm going to talk about that with John. I'll save that so I'm not redundant with it, but we will we'll chat about where we were and what went on that day. It is also the day after the NFL kicked off its regular season between the Chiefs and the Texans. For those of you who are consistent followers of the show, you completely understand my sigh after saying the Chiefs, but the NFL, I mean it was it was it was it was okay. The NFL made the decision to play both the Black National Anthem and America's National Anthem before the game, and the team. But the teams decided to stay in the locker room. And I watched a report this morning about it. And Steve Weiss, I think, was the guy's name, the reporter for the NFL Network, who said the players decided to stay in the in the locker room. And it was interesting. His report said that they did that because they saw playing both anthems as divisive. That basically you're saying, let's play the black anthem and the white anthem. When a number of them are saying, we want to get to a place where we're not divided based upon color. So I was I was actually happy to see that that report. And I'm going to talk next week about the aftermath of week number one in the NFL and some of the social justice commentary that has been going going on. We'll do that on the next episode of the podcast. But today, John Cuvion, who is a brilliant political mind in terms of analysis and strategy, he's going to be with me in studio to talk politics I'm excited about it.
0: The only interactive podcast in the capital city that lets you help solve a crime. There was a shooting. Okay, is someone shot? Yes, yeah, someone is shot. The Crime Stoppers podcast with Clay Young. Just some suspicious people
2: running through the parking lot before.
0: Real stories. It
2: was my first love. Real
0: crimes. Real people. Real justice. <laughs> The Crime Stoppers Podcast with Clay Young, exclusively at podcast225.com.
3: Expecting mothers and fathers? Family Road's Healthy Start Community Action Network wants you to stay healthy as we deal with the reality of COVID 19. Here are five tips to help you and your unborn baby. Keep prenatal visits to ensure good health of you and your baby. If you need help, Family Road Healthy Start has case managers who provide one on one support and is enrolling expecting mothers and fathers now. Stay safe. By By washing your hands before or after any encounter. You, your family, and children should wear masks in public. Pregnant moms, stay home if possible. If not, limit all outings and keep any additional family members such as your children home. Stay informed by getting all current information on COVID-19 from Trusted Resources. And finally, stay prepared in the event you may develop symptoms or test positive for the coronavirus. For additional information, visit womans.org. To enroll in Family Road Healthy Start, call 201 one and give your baby and family a healthy start. We'll get through this together.
0: The issues, the policies, the people. This is the Clay Young Show. Back with John
1: Cuvion, the proprietor, easy for me to say, of JMC uh, Analytics and Consulting. And JC has been on the show a number of times. And of course, this is political season, man. And this is the time of the year. That we talk about all of the elections going on. Of course, this year, the top of the voting ticket is the presidential election. But around these parts, the big deal is the race for East Baton Rouge Parish president slash mayor of the city yes. of Baton Rouge. First up, how are you, man?
2: Doing really good. It's, it's exciting to be in the middle of election season again.
1: You're avoiding the uh, the coronavirus and all of the trappings of all of that stuff, I see. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start. let's start first here. Before we get into the mayor's race and get into the presidential election, as we sit to record this, it is September 11th, Mm -hmm. and 19 years ago, around the time of day we are recording right now, the nation changed in so many ways forever. Yeah, Where were you? because everybody remembers, yep. <clears throat> where were you when the attacks
2: happened? i just gotten to work. And way back then I would subscribe to those CNN emails, you know, breaking events. And so I remember seeing the first email talking about a plane that slammed into the World Trade Center. Yeah, And of course, at the time I was thinking, okay, that's a really weird incident. But then I got the second email talking about another plane, and then they were talking about the stuff going on in Pittsburgh and so forth. Yeah. And that's one of those things where all of a sudden, you know, your eyes are wide open and, you know, we're under attack. And so it was one of those things where a seemingly innocent morning was instantly transformed by a couple hours of of those events, yeah, it was it was unlike anything that that obviously we had
1: ever seen before. I was on the air at the time that it happened, mm. and the first plane had, had hit, and we missed it because I had a a, a team around the table, and we we were doing a radio show, and after it had happened, it was it was on the screen, and in one of the other radio stations, the it, it, at the time it was, I think it was a country music station, and the guy was a military veteran, and we were kind of chatting about it, and he's going into his studio, and he says, we're under attack, guys. Yeah. Not a few minutes later, the second plane hit. Yeah. And then during the day, just watching it, because it was unlike, you gotta rem- think about it, the attack on the USS Cole, the 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 embassy bombing in Nairobi, yeah. the the first attack on the World Trade Center with the, yeah, mm-hmm. it none of those things were because the media was so different. When all of those things were happening, right? At the time that this was going on, not only did you have CNN, but you had Fox News, you had MSNBC, and you had this this growing connectivity between news media and the public. Yes, And it was just... the Man, I remembered the video, the news feeds of people in that tower jumping. Yeah. People throwing their children out. Yeah. And it was something... Louisiana had a very interesting... Role in that day, if you remember, the president was in Miami, I believe. He was in Florida. I don't yeah, remember I think if it he
2: was, was in Mi- Sarasota. And he was reading a
1: reading book to some kids, kids uh-huh. when when Andy Card whispered into his ear about what had happened. And if you remember, when he left Florida, he wanted to go back to Washington. He didn't. He ended up stopping in Shreveport, and he spoke at Barksdale. In yes. fact, if you go to Barksdale in Shreveport now, in Barksdale Air Force Base, there is an area kind of a museum like mm. to what happened that day when he stopped in Louisiana. And what was interesting is by the time the nation saw the speech he delivered from Shreveport, he was already back in the air. Mm. It wasn't live. Oh, and it was just it was just something to remember. And, and, you know, I was we'll get to politics kind of digressed, uh, digressed down this road and, and I'll throw this at you. I was telling a friend of mine a couple of days ago. Think about the first 20 years of this millennium and everything we have seen.
2: Oh, it, it's been cursed. Because if you think about it, you had the presidential election of 2000, which Hanging lasted chats. for a month. Yeah. And we were all watching TV and Drudge Report and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. You had 9-11. And even before, yeah, yeah, 9-11. Go ahead. Hurricane Katrina.
1: Hurricane Katrina.
2: You had the financial crash in 2008. And Mm -hmm. Gustav Gustav, uh, happened, I
1: think, later that year as well.
2: Uh, It proceeded by a couple weeks, because I still remember that we got our power on literally as John McCain was giving his acceptance speech Mm. on the last night of the convention. Right. And then, of course— The the oil spill. The oil spill. Yeah. Yeah. The BP oil spill in 2010. Yeah. And then, really, the pandemic has just been this bizarre kind of—and then I guess you have to throw in all those school shootings that have been going on the last five or so years. School
1: shootings— the the unrest between law enforcement in some communities and I mean look look think about here what we had here in 2016 and what's happened around the country and this unrest that's gone on now and it's I mean it's something man you know a lot of people and I know you get this too a lot of people romanticize the 80s and for those of us who are around there were some really good things in the 80s but it wasn't it wasn't all roses and cotton candy but in comparison when you look back you're going man it really was a simpler time
2: it was comparatively simpler because one thing was you had kind of a single enemy which was Soviet Russia yeah and you had you did have the AIDS crisis in mm-hmm. the mid 80s but i mean without social media or the internet or anything like that it it was a more innocent time. It was. And it social so, social media just started out with, you
1: know, these MySpace accounts and all of these accounts, all of this, the things that have come and gone. And it was about being able to, to talk with each other and share information. And now it's just a a hammer that people use to beat each other over the head with nonsense yes. so often. And, and that's a shame, man. I, and you know, I was talking to a couple of mental health professionals. We talk, we did a podcast about this not long ago, or, or actually was a while ago, talking about the impact social media has on people's mental status mm. because of the addiction that people have to it. It's it just, it is something. But anyway, just thinking about nine eleven and strolling down that memory lane, I'm sure as we record this, a lot of people are remembering where they were yes. and what was going on. And I mean, since 9-11, there were babies born that year who are becoming adults now. That's how long ago that was.
2: In fact, I think I heard a statistic today that the those who were born after 9/11, this is the first election that they could vote in. Wow, I bet they're excited about that. Yeah. So, and that's a great What, trans- what a way to <laughs> enter the political. I mean, we just I mean, back back when I was growing up, it was Bush to caucus.
1: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, listen, and that dovetails us into where we are. Yes. Yesterday also before we dig into these specific races, The governor announced that Louisiana is going to be moving into the quote unquote phase three. Yes. And he has not yet, as we record, announced what those restrictions are and what they would look like. And I'm interested to hear your take on the politics surrounding the way that the coronavirus has been dealt with regionally and statewide by the people in elected office.
2: Well, my thought about the politics of—I'm going to kind of encapsulate it in phase three. Mm -hmm. I will give you three words as to why the governor did what he did, and that is he had to. In other words, what I think has been happening—you know, you you do have uh, the case counts are getting better. They've been Mm -hmm. pretty much uh, hanging around 5% positive test cases. Mm -hmm. Hospitalizations have decreased to, according to data I had yesterday, where it was last on June 29th. Yeah. So things are getting better, and the challenge that the governor has—there's twofold— and I think that some of that he had to force him to go into phase three. Mm-hmm. The first is that as the numbers are improving, I think people are kind of getting tired of things being the way they are and they want to see further opening up. And I think that was manifested most uh I guess succinctly in the whole debate over high school football. Yeah. And so I think that it was one of those things where, which there will be high school football now. Yes. For people who choose to participate. Right. And so I think the thing is that the challenge the governor has is this, he, he has a delicate balancing act where Mm -hmm. he has an increasingly aggressive, uh, loyal opposition as it were, that is demanding things open up yesterday. Yeah. And then he, you have people who are pulling his sleeve who don't want any changes. And I think that what has to happen is you do not want to ignore both sides of the spectrum. I think that you do need to do a phased approach. But keeping us in one phase for four months, I mean, my attitude is things are getting better. Why not open up, just to use an example, say restaurants to 65 or 75%. In other yeah. words, the real problems, in my opinion, were when you had establishments that were flouting the law mm-hmm. and perhaps going at 100% occupancy with big crowds, mm-hmm. well, lo and behold, we had a super spreader event. Yeah. But I'm of the opinion that it's all a question, in my opinion, of willpower. In other words, if you think the negative glass is half empty approach and you want to keep stuff shut down until there's some mythical standard of perfection on the coronavirus cases, well, Louisiana's going to have 50% unemployment. Right. I'm of the opinion that what you need to do is clearly communicate. And I am i don't mind if this could be construed as giving the governor political advice. I think what has to happen is, just like FDR used to do his fireside chats, the governor needs to articulate a clear vision as to, number one, I want to open up Louisiana. Number two, I want to do it safely. Number three, here's what it takes to get to the next stage. Yeah. In other words— We've been kind of in this haze as to what it's going to take for Louisiana to reopen. And I'm of the opinion he needs to kind of treat it like, say, a fitness coach would, which would be, okay, if we can, you know, for this month, say, we need to be consistently at 5% positive cases. Okay. And once we attain that, say, okay, I'm, I feel good about where we're at. The next month, I want us to get down to 4%. In other words, you kind of start raising the bar a little, little, saying, this is what makes me comfortable with, you know, opening more things up. Yeah. With all due respect to the governor, I'm not seeing any of that kind of communication. What I'm seeing is, in my opinion, the Stern Father Lecture, which I think is counterproductive and does not make him look good. Yeah. So, I mean, that to me is what needs to happen is he needs to take a middle ground and say, look, I want to open up Louisiana, but I want to do it safely. And here's what I define as safely. I don't disagree with you
1: because I think there are businesses. And here's the thing. It's bipartisan. The businesses, Republicans, Democrats, blacks, whites, who are hurting because they can't open. Yes, so you've got the delicate line between how do we take seriously this virus while also not crippling the personal economies of families exactly and the future of businesses and and that's the thing. And you're right. there have been bars, we all know it, that have opened when bars weren't supposed to be opened. And have had 100% capacity when, when not only were they not supposed to have capacity and that's supposed to be opened. that stuff has happened. Yes. Right? And it's been a decision largely because people are like, I'm dying here. And if I don't do something, I'm go- it's going to go away and it's never going to come back. Right. So it, it's, a, it's a tough position. And then, you know, with college football starting and only a percentage of people being able to, to get into the football stadiums, that's going to be it. And then no tailgating, which I think the public – We'll get used to over time, yeah, but it's it doesn't mean that, like I was talking to a friend of mine at l s u yesterday l s u the way that it's written by the s e c and the way the schools are addressing it is this is the position they're taking at the begin- as the season begins, right, so they've left themselves. A corner to be able to say okay let's start raising that to 50 percent capacity and then and then more
2: well that's that's the one thing that i think has been disturbingly absent from this whole discussion from the coronavirus is everybody has their own little agenda whereas to me what needs to be the case is how do we get through this together and you know with all due respect to the governor he really needs to articulate a vision as to what he would be comfortable with with reopening louisiana yeah and you know, if he does that, I think that—and and also, too, in terms of enforcing the law, which he started, I think, taking seriously back in late July mm-hmm. before ratcheting us back to phase one or mm-hmm. worse, yet had a lockdown. That, to me, should have happened in March. Because the thing is, it's one thing to have uh, laws as part of the order yeah. or, or orders, uh, but you have to have them followed. And when you have people flouting the law openly, you know, saying bad things about the governor and face masks and so forth on Facebook, well, that, to me, is kind of— inappropriate because it's like, look, we need to get this thing solved. How about if we all just pitch in and everybody do his or her part? Man, that's, that's, that's the thing. If you could figure out how to get people to do that
1: in yeah. mass, I probably wouldn't see you again. Cause you'd be living <laughs> in your villa somewhere in the South of France. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. You know, when I walk into a place, first of all, I hate wearing the mask. Yeah. Hate it. Hate it. However, It's all good. If I go into a place and most places require a
2: mask, just put the
1: mask on. Right. It's It's, all
2: good. It's, I mean, my attitude is the, well, this, this too is where I would say I would, I would tend to side more on the open it up side is to me, the mask needs to be part of, okay. If you want to have these additional freedoms, there's some things we still need to do. Sure. Keep the mask on. Yeah. And then look, as time goes on, like say, okay, at 3% test, positive test cases for a month, I'm mm-hmm. comfortable removing the mask mandate. Right. That dialogue needs to be had. Mm-hmm. Because here's the thing, which I think with all due respect to the governor, I don't think he quite gets, is that Louisiana is not an economic island. We are interconnected with 49 other states. No question. All the other states are opening up at velocities greater than Louisiana. Yeah. And we are not exactly a bastion of economic prosperity. Mm-mm. So if all of a sudden you're talking about a state where, you know, you have all these efforts to keep businesses locked down, do you seriously think any business will want to invest here? Well, and
1: that's the thing. And like you said, we're a small state, only about four and a half million people. And we are interconnected with the other states. I mean, so much happens for America through Louisiana. Think about our ports and things. Mm-hmm. and and. and Look, it's a tough situation, but I don't think we have to be I don't think we should be afraid to move forward. But there's so much uncertainty as to what the target is. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that people have a clear understanding of what goal we're trying to hit. Like you just said, we get down to three percent and now we can say, okay, we've slowed. The spread has has slowed to the degree that we can actually start allowing people to do some things that they haven't been able to do over the last eight months. Yes. So let's move to local politics the good now. Stuff. The good, so do we do we local or presidential first? <laughs> oh, I want to save the presidential for last. <laughs> Absolutely save the best for I think, last. I think that's, yeah. that's where the entertainment va- sure. value is going to be high locally here. So mm-hmm. Hill or Moore was reelected without opposition. Correct. So that race, which could have been controversial depending on who was in it, won't happen. Right. Uh, the city council races, a lot of them are chalk. Right. Right. I mean, and and pretty much that the the favorites are in the best position to win. Yes. Pretty much up and down the run. The mayor's race is interesting because East Baton Rouge Parish is 4% more Democrat than it was four years ago. Mm -hmm. And there are 4% fewer Republicans. Yes. But the number didn't go anywhere. It just seems as though. Maybe they moved, moved Livingston or Ascension. Yeah. Mayor Broom in this round before she was number one. mm mm-hmm. She and Bodie White, obviously, as you guys remember, Denise Marcel was in four years ago. She got 13 percent of the vote back then, which is likely the reason that Sharon Broom didn't win without Mm -hmm. a runoff. Yes. Here we are now with Mayor Broom as the incumbent. Steve Carter, former legislator, is in there. Matt Watson, a seated city councilman. Jordan Piazza, a businessman. Uh, Denise Marcel, another legislator, current legislator who is in there. And then E. Eric Gerard, Yes. who Who is, I don't know what Eric's doing. And the race now moves forward sans Tyra Wicker. Yes. Who's a seated city council person. What are your thoughts on the makeup of the candidates running to unseat Mayor Broom?
2: So... This will be my first controversial take, which which is equally applicable to the mayor's race as to the presidential race. That is, if you are planning on saving up your money for spending it near election day, in my opinion, you're a fool. And the reason I'm going to say that, and this is probably more applicable to the president than mayor, but still yeah. applicable... The world has changed quite a bit with regard to how people want to vote. More specifically, mail-in voting. I'm with you 100%. And I'm going to throw out one statistic which I think is very, very eye-opening. Yeah. Four years ago, 63,000 Louisianians voted by mail. In other words, mail-in voting was one of those kind of relic kind of things, Mm -hmm. like eight tracks and cassettes that nobody really thought about. Right. When the Secretary of State was testifying... At the, uh, the the federal judge about whether or how much to expand mail-in voting, the uh, one of Kyle Arden's assistants stated that there were 156,000 mail-in applications. In other words, mm-hmm. you have a level of mail-in voting that a couple days ago was two and a half times what it was for all of the 2016 election cycle. Yeah. What that means in plain English is, if it is that high right now, it's only going to go higher throughout the month of September and October. Mm -hmm. And that's even before we get into these arcane questions of who can be allowed to mail and vote, because those 65 and older can legally request a mail-in ballot. So where I'm going with this is, in Louisiana, 3% voted by mail forever and ever and ever. That number surged to 19% in July and 24% in August. I'm of the opinion it is going to be a similarly high number, perhaps even higher in November. So if you as a campaign are going by this old legacy notion of saving up everything to election day, well that's silly because number one you're still going to have a lot of people in personally voting. Yeah. But number two you have this new character in the show called mail in voting right. and at whatever point those mail in ballots go out, the first the federal judge has to make a decision as to what is permissible with mm. regards to mail in voting, but It obviously has to be solved soon because it's right about now that the Secretary of State needs to finalize the ballot, get the mail-in ballots prepped. But point being is I would expect sometimes around late September those mail-in ballots are going to go out. It's human nature that if you get a ballot, you're probably going to fill it out pretty quickly and send it in. And so what I'm saying is if you think you can just sit sit back and spend all your money the last week of October, that's silly. Because I'm of the opinion when those mail-in ballots hit, well, really – Election day is hitting now because, in my opinion, those 106,000 people who already have requested a mail-in ballot, they probably pretty much know who they're voting for. I would say so. And, and
1: it, I have always been a proponent of when you have money to spend in an election, you spend it early. Yes. I think you start aggressive really in the first quarter. You kind of come down a bit. Strategically, around yep. the middle of the year, when people are traveling and graduations are going on, and they're distracted, right. just after the holidays is when a lot of the commercial media spend comes down because right. people have gotten out of the holidays. You can own the landscape, yep. right? And and then, of course, when you get to election, you start doing it. If you notice, and we'll get to the presidential election. We're sticking now it's with still the mayor, <laughs> um, but the president started his media spend very early, mm-hmm. and then vice president biden has done the same thing they've been running ads for a long time i mean obviously biden is getting the word out there because he had to win a primary Mm -hmm. but you know he had money coming into this yes and so here locally with the mayor's race i think you're right if if any of these candidates have strategy people yeah then you've got to look at the numbers first, right? I think, and I think you and I know that we've already given away a bucket full of free advice here on this. Tell me. But you have to start with the numbers, right? So when you look at the numbers of all of the candidates in this now, Mm -hmm. what do they say to you? In terms of their messaging? In, In terms of
2: strategically... Your path to victory. Oh, sure. Okay. So, so having said the part about mail and voting, and then the the last thing I'll say about that is, in my opinion, you need to think of September first to October fifteenth as the formative period when voters are making up their mind. Right. And if you wait till after October fifteenth. Bad, you're done bad idea okay having said that now let's get to the fun stuff which is the mayor's race mm-hmm. you have to think of it in terms of two swim lanes okay so east baton Rouge parish is roughly a 50 50 parish i would argue probably now it tilts a little more democratic than republican it does it, it went 52 43 for clinton over trump mm-hmm. it gave foster campbell 52 mm-hmm. Bodie white 48 it, i mean i'm sorry john kennedy 48 yeah it gave both uh Sharon Weston Broom, 52, Bodie mm-hmm. White, 48. This year, I would not be surprised if Joe Biden gets about 54 to 55% of the votes. He's, he's
1: going to win the parish. I mean, I, yeah. I, the, 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 every, every Democratic candidate for president in this millennium, I believe, has won East Bad Rouge. I think maybe. Starting George, with Obama. Yeah, starting with Obama, because I think George W. Bush won he in 04. And. You're right. And then, of course, among the the statewide Senate campaigns, it's the same thing. Bo Clark is the first statewide elected Republican in and and I had the number. Uh, in a while and some time to win East Baton Rouge Parish because he's 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 a right. parish coroner. Obviously, Sid Gotro is a Republican, but he he initially ran as a Democrat, a Democrat when he was elected. Yes, so that's where I am with the numbers. It's like you have got to be able to be the kind of candidate that can. If and I'm talking in terms of. Uh, trying to unseat the mayor, because mm-hmm. I think we both agree, we can cut to the chase, that she's most likely to make the runoff at the number one position.
2: Oh, she will make the runoff. She'll finish a strong th- first. That's exactly right. So that gets into the notion of swim lanes. Then, you know, so I was kind of I was kind of teeing it up by talking about the partisan lean of East Baton Rouge Parish, which I think will tilt more Democratic. Mm-hmm. So what I would expect is you have to think of there's a Democratic swim lane that's probably sitting at about 50 to 52, 53 percent of the vote. Mm-hmm. That vote is being divided amongst two Democrats. So Denise Marcel is going to peel off some black voters from Sharon Weston-Broom. Mm-hmm. The question is how many. I'm kind of of the opinion that Representative Marcel will probably get about 10% or so. In other words, it's going to force a runoff purely on her vote alone.
1: I, I, I agree with you. And again, we said it. She had 13% four years ago, which which those were going to be Sharon Broom votes. Yes. And I think the same thing will happen. I I could see somewhere between ten and thirteen percent again mm-hmm. because Councilwoman Wicker is not in in the race, and you know that whole thing with with the filing and the tax and I, and I, in the interest of full disclosure, I've known Tyra Wicker a very very long time. Yeah, and and I don't know what happened. Yeah. Okay, do I think that there was something intentionally shady going on there? I don't I I don't know what happened but I don't I don't because why would you? <laughs> I mean it's one of those things is if you like I said I don't know and and I would love to at some point talk with her about that right. here. Don't want to intrude right now. Yes. Yeah, obviously because of what's going on but you know that was a game changer for me because I always saw her looking at the numbers as the most formidable challenger to Mayor Broom at least getting into the runoff.
2: Yes. Because if she were still in the race, she could presumably have pulled off votes from both the Republican and the Democratic sides. That's right. Gotten just enough votes to make it into the runoff. Mm-hmm. And she and then, it, it, then it's a turnout. Mm-hmm. Then it's a turnout situation, right? Yes. So now that that's not the case, I do think that, like I said, Representative Marcel, I see her peeling off 10 to 13 percent of the vote, mm-hmm. pull, forcing a runoff. Mm-hmm. I think Mayor Broome will probably finish, you know. Probably I would say low 40s. Mm-hmm. So then we get to the Republican side of the aisle. This is this is the this thing is where it's it yes, 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 yes. So you're talking about, in my opinion, 45 to 47 percent of the vote that's being divided amongst three candidates: Piazza, Watson, and Steve Carter. Carter, mm-hmm. and technically a fourth, a gentleman named Frank Smith. Frank Smith,
1: trying to remember, but but, but but unknown unknown commodity in this thing for people.
2: Right. And when I checked his campaign finance report, I think I saw a bunch of zeros. Yeah. The, no, actually, I take that back. He did not have right. a campaign finance report when I checked this morning. Morning, ER Gayrard had a bunch of zeros. Yeah. But anyway, point being is, it's a couple months out from the election. You don't even have any money in the bank. Yeah. That's not good.
1: Yeah. So
2: you have to. But God r- bless
1: you for wanting to get in the system because yeah, I think those people who run are crazy.
2: There's nothing wrong with wanting to run, but in my opinion, A race like East Baton Rouge Parish Mayor President is in a different league than, say, running for Metro Council.
1: There is no doubt about it. I mean, I think this is this year an eight hundred thousand to million dollar race. And I think if you're trying to unseat the incumbent, you've got to cross a million dollars for sure because you're going to have to get to the meet, get to people via media because canvassing and rallies and all the. Corona has eliminated the possibility of, of those kinds of things.
2: It has, and I would argue for a race as high up the food chain as Mayor President is, the canvassing aspect isn't really as determinative. In other words, for Metro Council, it's still of a size to where you can and mm-hmm. should be doing the voter to person to person thing. But when you're talking about two hundred and ninety thousand registered voters, it's it's physically. But well, hitting impossible.
1: some but hitting some of those bigger neighborhoods where where your base is to secure your your most loyal following having street teams to do some of that putting out signs or whatever but so but, but go
2: back to where so you were about this. you have three republicans they're going to be cutting each other up and the way i look at it is steve carter starts off the top dog jordan why Pion. he has the advantage of being you know having 12 years as a state representative yep. he ran very respectably in the state senate race yep. and he is of course connected with the bocage crowd mm-hmm. and I remember when I used to look at old campaign finance reports, he would typically have several hundred thousand dollars cash mm-hmm. on hand in the bank. I think obviously most of that went to the state Senate campaign. Yeah, yeah. But even the last report that I saw, he had $18,000, which was more than Piazza and more than what Watson had. Mm-hmm. So my thought about Steve Carter is he has a base.
1: And he can self-fund. Yes, Not that I, I recommend that for people, but Carter can definitely self-fund.
2: And in a weird year like this, where I've been hearing multiple stories about Troubles of candidates raising money, the ability—it's to, tough. The ability to write a check is certainly not something you would dismiss. Mm-hmm. So I would see him as the top dog. I also see Jordan Piazza as he's going to—he's going to fight, you know, tooth and nail to try to dethrone Steve Carter. Mm-hmm. So I could see Piazza perhaps trying to paint Steve as being a rhino or a liberal or whatnot mm-hmm. for uh, when Steve tried to propose a gas tax. To you know, go fix the new bridge and yeah. things like that. But point being, is a Republican land anything with the T word is anathema. <laughs> <laughs> well, and yeah. even though East Baton Rouge Parish is a more moderate parish, if you are talking about competing within the Republican swim lane, it's not too hard to see someone peeling off twenty five out of forty seven percent and mm-hmm. making the runoff. So, so Carter and Watson to me are going to be they're going to be going toe to toe. Now, Matt Watson, I'm going to start Carter and Piazza. My bad. Mm-hmm. Matt Watson. Well, the thing that I saw was, so he had 17,000 on hand, which mm-hmm. is actually about equal to what Steve Carter had. Right. But Steve Carter's pretty much taken away his base. Taking away
1: Watson's base. Well, Steve Carter getting into this does have an impact on Watson's campaign. Yes. And Watson, the comparison between the two of them is going to be who is the most aggressive conservative and who can rally. The the danger, I think, is you have to be careful about what rhetoric you use. Absolutely. Because as we know in in, in electoral politics, you raise money. On the edges, you win by getting from the middle, right? And I think you got to be careful about what rhetoric you use.
2: Well, and that's that's kind of the tricky thing when you're talking about Republican politics, is oftentimes they think about the short term, which is winning the primary, Mm -hmm. but they forget about those more independent voters that are needed to win the runoff. And that very much matters in a Paris like East Baton Rouge. Because what I would expect would be the case in the runoff, and I think the Republicans are kind of banking on this too, you're going to have elevated turnout in November.
1: Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's why I'm talking about the Democratic base vote probably being 50, 52, 53 percent in the mayor's race. But you you get to a December runoff. I could see that easily falling about 5 percent. Oh, 5%. no
1: question. And because, as you say, the top of the ticket is going to draw people out because of the presidential election. Yes. So if you're if you are looking at the landscape of East Baton Rouge, Paris, just wearing your mm-hmm. your your analytical hat, not not as a, a, a strategy person for a campaign what roads do you see because the mayor is going to stay the course she's not going to do much differently than she's been doing because she's the lead dog right now Mm -hmm. but the uh, the other candidates if they if they're serious about trying to get into the runoff what avenues are you seeing for them to to take
2: well to get in the runoff i could see the red meat strategy being something that they do And there's certainly nothing wrong with doing that, but you could probably peel off 25% of the parish-wide vote doing that. I'm of the opinion if you take that strategy, you'll be dead in the water come November 4th. Yeah. Because the reality, the unpleasant truth, as it were, is the fulcrum of power in East Baton Rouge Parish, I would argue, you have to think about areas like the 70806 and 70808 zip codes. In other words, imagine... an axis going down Highland and Perkins Road to about Starring Lane, okay. and then along, say, Goodwood slash Cut, roughly to about Terra. That is an area that I affectionately nicknamed the Gissel Belt back in 2016. <laughs> and the reason I called it that was that Even though Daryl Gissel did not make much of a splash when he ran for mayor president as an independent, he did noticeably better in those precincts. And because these are more affluent, well-educated, more politically moderate precincts. Yeah. And I think that his appeal.
1: By the way, so that everybody's in the room with us on this, Daryl Gissel, who was a candidate for mayor four years ago, who is now the mayor's chief administrative officer in her administration. Yes. Proceed.
2: And so what happened was not only did Daryl Gissel pull a much greater percentage out of those Gissel belt precincts, as I yeah. call them, but those those votes also enough of them swung to Sharon Weston Broom mm-hmm. in the runoff for her to beat Bodie White. Mm-hmm. And I mean what I thought was Beat him by what, forty one hundred votes? So yeah. yeah.
1: No, but it was forty it, it was it was it was, so it was a few thousand yeah, it was votes. A few th- I think it was, it was less than 5,000 votes right. that, that she beat him by, but yeah, go ahead.
2: See, and what to me was illustrative of the different approaches that both Senator White and mm-hmm. Mayor and, and Mayor Broome uh, did in the runoff that was different was that in my own neighborhood, I was seeing broom having canvassers out, and I never saw any such effort coming from Bodie White. And I think what happened was the advice that he was given was basically more base centric rhetoric. Yeah. Well, that's all well and good for making the runoff, but in East Baton Rouge Parish, it's a non starter for winning it. I think, and on any
1: level of politics, it is. It's passe. It's 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 a it's it's old antiquated strategy simply because the interconnectivity between people and information is different than it was before. Yeah. What you say in July will definitely live in November and the rhetoric you use in November will live between November 3rd and December when the runoff happens. Yeah. So I think you have to run a campaign. You know, if you are running for mayor and your name is not Sharon Weston-Broom that you are trying to get into a runoff with Sharon Weston-Broom. Yes. So your strategy has to be to get to number two, the smartest way that you can, and do it while not destroying yourself for when you get to December. Bodhi, it's it's like what Eddie Risponi did. Eddie Risponi's rhetoric early Was so aggressive that by the time you got to
2: the runoff or, you know, it was it was a whole different animal. Right. And, you know, I'm of the opinion that if let's pretend for a second and I'll I'll save Eddie, you know, 15 million dollars and tell him this straight out. (laughs) If let's pretend too late. Yeah, I know. Well, if let's pretend I was giving him advice. I think that issues of Louisiana's being economically stagnant relative to the rest of the South, our high insurance rates, which were making it tough for people to run a business, particularly the loggers, yeah those to me would have been much more salient issues than how much you love President Trump. Didn't help him at all. Right. And the thing was, he came very close to winning. And I think— Until that- the governor— went back and
1: started pulling at his base yeah. and and solidified his base around him. Right. The only thing we knew and Eddie Responi is a successful businessman. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. He's built an amazing company. Yes. But the only thing you knew about him was that he loved President Trump
2: and that he was phony Responi because the Democrats <laughs> kept repeating that message. But yeah. you know the thing that was That name calling thing though. It's it's really taken on but I
1: you know I just
2: it's, it is kind of campaign
1: yeah. jingly, though.
2: Yeah, I guess. Kind of like the old the old jingle years ago about I like Ike, you like Ike, we like Ike for president. <laughs> That's right. But but more to the point, though, if to me, let's pretend that Risponi had focused on Louisiana-centric issues, yeah. that I think would have helped him because he did have a good story to tell.
1: Yeah, he had a great story to tell. I mean, the campaign just, it was, yeah, but that's, oh, that's a whole other, other thing. And the other then.
2: thing, while we're get, we're talking about the what could have been but never was, he should absolutely unequivocally have gone up to Richland Parish and broken bread with Ralph Abraham the day after the election because... Dumbest mistake made. Yeah, those sore... Fi- and you know, the thing was, you could probably have some consultant was probably whispering his ear, ah, don't worry about it. All those people going to vote Republican. Well, okay. they're a much more independent <laughs> bunch up in Northeast Look, Louisiana. they hated... Uh, they hated him. So, yeah. so anyway, anyway the, the, that's, the, that's sad. this 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 thing
1: with with the mayor's race, because I think you, you're seeing it. So, if you are looking, and I think I heard you say earlier, mm-hmm. you see Steve Carter as the lead person among the challengers to make it into the runoff.
2: At the present time, the big question mark in my mind is going to be the resources that Piazza and or Watson have to offer an alternative message and or dethrone Steve Carter. You know, if that is the case, then Matt
1: Watson, excuse me, has been going after the mayor and her administration. He would have to pivot to Steve Carter, which would be a, a smart strategy, because at this point right now, he's not running against sharon weston broom as much as he's running against steve carter same goes for jordan piazza Uh, i'm curious to see what jordan's base will be
2: yeah i would suspect it's gonna be a more conservative base judging from the little bits i've read about But from no no but from where right southeast baton rouge central
1: south downs and and and, uh, where where, where do you think
2: southeast baton rouge central places like that
1: even over Carter and Watson, yes. So what, what are you giving him a puncher's chance to
2: get a shot at number two? I never turn. I, ne- I never. Let me put it this way: with enough money, nothing's impossible. And fact. And, and I will say this too: this this is you know I'm going to have to retreat back to hedging my bets and yeah, being yeah. like most pundits and not saying anything controversial, right? the big question mark to me is going to be what the next finance report says because the last finance report if i remember correctly was how the world stood as the end of at the end of july well since then you hope that they are taking fundraising seriously and i think that when that next report comes out that'll really tell the tale
1: yeah that's that's going to be a big deal if no one else is above now again carter could write a quarter million dollar check if he oh, wants yeah. to but if no one is above at minimum $300,000 Good That's luck. Th- good luck.
2: Oh, well, here's another thing, too, that, you know, in, in addition to what we just said about good luck. So you're having a mayor president primary that is being held concurrently with the presidential election. What that means in plain terms is you're easily going to have about 200,000 voters in East Baton Rouge Parish turnout. Mm-hmm. and. When you have a turnout that large, you have a lot of occasional voters. What do occasional voters mean? Occasional voters mean people who are not as tuned in to the personalities, and they're going to be much more likely to go with a familiar name. Mm -hmm. In other words, unless you, Piazza, or you, Watson, have done something to differentiate yourself from uh, Steve Mm Carter— You're, they're not. People aren't going to vote for you.
1: So you get into the runoff now, and then because this is the thing, and I, I I've heard from a number of people over the years that we've done this. This is maybe the third cycle of these that we've done. You know, sitting down and, and doing yeah. these podcasts, and when you get into the. The runoff now Mm -hmm. and you think about it let's think about it so you've got the mayor who makes the runoff right likely most likely but not guaranteed against Carter or Watson okay outside chance at Jordan Piazza depending on how the money flows if you are the Republican against the incumbent you have to have smart rhetoric because you are going to need to pull off white Democrats Mm -hmm. who may tend to lean a little bit conservative. And you may get lucky with a few black Democrats who could see a plan based upon whatever. Now, that is high-level stuff to be able to do in electoral politics. But that goes back to what you said about being careful about what you say now.
2: Right. No red meat rhetoric. Yeah. Because... I'm of the opinion that winning the battle and losing the war is the worst thing that can happen Absolutely. in politics. And ultimately, you want to position your candidate as best you can to be victorious in December. And so East Baton Rouge Parish has enough of those swing voters who mm. abhor any kind of you know, in-your-face rhetoric to where I wouldn't even go there now.
1: I wouldn't either. And, and the tune-out factor, too, it has been so high, yeah. which leads us now to, and, and we're not coming to conclusion about the mayor's race. Obviously, we're still a number we're of weeks progress. out. We'll, yeah, we'll come <laughs> back to it. But this leads us to the top of the ticket, oh, yes, the presidential stuff. election, where I was, I, as we record, I checked out Real Clear Politics this morning, mm-hmm. and their composite numbers have Vice President mm-hmm. Biden at 50.5% and, mm-hmm. and the president at 43% in terms of where the they are polling now Mm -hmm. you could choose to take or leave some of that polling but it's a composite of all of the big ones that that come to a number Mm -hmm. your your top of the wave assessment of the presidential election right now as we get into mid-september
2: a 2008 level disaster for the republicans
1: that's the way it looks right now yes if the election were to be held this coming tuesday biden would win
2: yes and the Democrats would take the Senate and they'd pick up more seats in the House.
1: Because the they, they, they like you say, they have a House lead right now. Right. And Republicans have the Senate. So mm-hmm. two that's a great way of putting it. A 2008
2: level collapse. In fact, let's go back in time. Way back in 2005, when George Bush's luck ran out, so to speak, well, really two things I think hurt him. The first was, Hurricane Katrina, but the bigger thing which to me set the stage for Katrina was when he laid out that social security privatization plan and he didn't he didn't have it ready for prime time and mm-hmm. the democrats started nibbling it to death. Yeah. It seemed like everything after that just went just went south on him, and I'm not just talking about those two items. I remember too there was the Jack Abramoff scandal. Yeah, gas prices surged, and he didn't seem to care about <laughs> Jack it.
1: Abramoff. I still remember seeing him in that trench coat with the fedora yeah.
2: on. He 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 embraced the 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 caricature the caricature caricature of being a villain. Yeah, you had all those Republicans like yeah. Tom Delay and Duke Cunningham getting convicted. Uh, the culture of corruption. You had uh, the Iraq war. Anyway, you had this maelstrom of things that, in Mm -hmm. my opinion, sunk the Republicans in 2006, despite having a good economy. Doesn't that sound familiar to 2018, by the way? So that is so this
1: is this is see. There you go. I'm going to have to go get more coffee on this one. But so you're so right now. This is on the heels of President Bush beating Senator Kerry mm-hmm. who ran I don't think either one of us could get drunk enough to run a campaign that bad. It's pretty bad. And and he lost and then you get to 2008 and one of the things about 2008 that was so startlingly obvious was Republicans were retreating away from the president. Yes. He was almost
2: they almost didn't want him to speak at the convention. He had a he had a, I think about a 30% approval rating. And see the thing that was unfortunate was that in my opinion You can even make an argument that the the stage for George Bush's problem was set even before 2005, and that was when he unfurled that Mission Accomplished banner. You know, that was at the top of—so here's the thing about that, though.
1: Just being analytical, right? America, the military, defeated Iraq. Yes. In about 21 days. Mm -hmm. Saddam Hussein was in a hole somewhere pulled him out of the ground. Right. The war in Iraq was nowhere near completed. In fact, we still are trying to draw our hands out of that right now. Yeah. And so I t- I think that is an example of horrible messaging and just terrible strategy in terms of public relations. Because you didn't art- the optics, you didn't articulate that you you <clears throat> defeated Iraq. First of all, I don't think the banner was necessary. Mission right. accomplished because Iraq didn't attack us on 9-11 it was just it was just the whole thing but but going back to his 2004 campaign that campaign was run well yes the Kerry campaign was not there's a great book by Byron York about the the Kerry campaign he kind of he traveled with them and saw the way that they went about their business so you you fast forward ahead to where you're talking about now in 2000 2020 Mm -hmm. and and President Trump's bid to try to be reelected, it does look so similar. I didn't think about it in those terms before. Yeah. And if you're saying this is the case, do you see the mudslide starting to dry or is there more rain falling?
2: So here's the way I look at it. In other words, saying, some, saying two things as controversial as I have in a single show I never say controversial things without having the data to back it up. So, with regards to this 2008-level disaster I just uttered, mm-hmm. there's a couple things I'm seeing. Well, really three things. The first is, I'm of the belief, and I've seen it happen over and over again, you can you can get a distant early warning of partisan enthusiasm by. <laughs> how strong a party turns out or does not turn out in the primary elections. Right. Because we have, as of today, conducted 48 out of 50 states' uh, primaries. In other words, we still have Delaware and Louisiana. Yeah. But all the other states have had their primaries where they're selecting people to run in November. Mm-hmm. In those same states in 2016, the primary vote was 51% Republican. Yeah. It is 41% this year.
1: Mm-hmm. That's pretty bad. Now— let's 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 qualify
2: is statewide, it a statewide statewide and president depending on which had the greater votes okay in other words I'm not just looking I mean you're correct because you had a contested democratic president yes. nomination, okay. and President Trump had minor opposition yeah you're, you're you're correct from that standpoint but you know the funny thing was there was still a decent number of Republicans in the states where you just had the presidential race on the ballot this spring mm-hmm. they still went to go vote for President Trump yeah even considering that it was a a, a a relatively pointless vote. But when I saw that in combination with all these state primaries where I saw these numerous instances over and over and over again in multiple states of Democrats just running up the score turnout wise, I, it's kind of hard for me to conclude this. It's just an anomaly. The other thing is I have seen that looking at voter registration since January, you're talking about uh, 1.6 million additional Democrats and about 1.1 million additional Republicans. Hmm. And that number is understated, by the way, in terms of the Democrats, because New York and California are very slow in terms of how often they update their voter registration stats. Well, when you look at the, the, the I think Indiana fell for
1: President Trump four years ago, mm-hmm. and he also got Florida. Yes. And he got Ohio. Yes. And so you look at these states that that have that have been out there, that have been heretofore considered swing states. Yes, Biden is strong in places that Trump was strong in four years ago.
2: Yes, and you know the thing is, and that's, that's why. So. Yeah, I might as well address that now, and I'll, I'll save the third point for okay. a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what you have here is a fundamental messaging problem that was committed by the Trump campaign in November of 2016. Okay. That is, he got 46 percent of the national popular vote, and he never really reached out to those who did not vote for him. Mm-hmm. In other words, you you do not have a mandate, despite what the electoral college says, to be perceived as having you know the ability to get things passed, if only forty-six percent of people voted for you. Right. I mean, the the bigger issue was Hillary Clinton foolishly took those Rust Belt state for granted, and another terribly run campaign. Oh, she bad. hid for most of the fall four years ago. Yeah, she
1: stayed just completely stayed off television.
2: But what I've seen happen, and this is yet another data point. So, pretty much from the beginning of two thousand seventeen, I saw it was going to be a bad year for the Republicans when I saw Democrats coming. Close to winning a lot of these special elections in heavily Republican districts, but to me, the proof in the pudding. Despite all my, you know, skies falling warnings as far back as January of eighteen, the Republicans got forty-five percent of the vote in the congressional races in twenty eighteen. That is almost identical to the forty-six percent that Donald Trump got. In 2016, mm-hmm. and when I'm looking at poll after poll after poll nationally, and I'm seeing almost a carbon copy of something like Joe Biden getting 50 to 51 yeah. percent, and Donald Trump getting 43 percent. In other words, I would have a different assessment if let's pretend that starting in August, I started to see President Trump's numbers not to start to notch up like 43, mm-hmm. 44, 45. Mm-hmm. Now, as an incumbent president, it's very tough to really change the equation very much in terms sure. of what votes you're going to get. Sure, but When I'm seeing that two weeks after the convention that you're talking about a static race, well, number one, President Trump did not really get his convention bump. And number two, it says to me that you have a lot of, I guess, solidifying going on. There's not that many swing voters. And you combine that with these evidences of democratic surges. But this to me is the piece de resistance when I'm talking about why I'm seeing it as a bad year for the republicans if, if the president you, you're right you're reaching out so and, and i'll tell
1: people take partisanship out of this because our conversation isn't about any kind of partisanship it's not right. we're and, and and an analytical in a truly analytical discussion about this stuff you don't wear a jersey for either team you're right. just talking about what's going on mm-hmm. right so for anybody out there listening this is not a, a bent one way or the other we're just talking about what the numbers right. say what is? that's kind of one of the things we do yes if you're the president there are not enough red meat republican voters out there to do it because now granted this is an electoral college election you think about Florida, where you have an elderly population, uh, 29 electoral votes, yes. 18 electoral votes in Ohio. Now, you're going to get Louisiana. Oh, yeah. We've got eight electoral votes. It's red meat. You can be red meat there. The the Gulf South is a place where Trump's going to be strong. But if you add up all those numbers, you still have a problem because there are more electoral votes in California, which has 55. Yes. So strategically, you've got to go into some of these places and pull off the moderates again. Hillary Clinton had high, high negatives last time. Yes. And it hurt her with moderates and and you remember this, her rise in popularity often correlated with her staying off television for days at a time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And so I think for the president he's got high negatives even among Republicans. Right. You got to address that now. Yes. One of the ways that he could do that is in the debates. Mm -hmm. If you're Vice President Biden you seize on the president's High negatives. Right. That's got to be your strategy. Some of the name-calling crap that they're doing, it's like, man, what game are y'all in? Are y'all not paying attention that there's varsity ball going on? Yeah.
2: Well, and, you know, the rhetoric I'm seeing coming from the campaign, you almost wonder if they're playing to win. And, you know, one of the things I think that's kind of indicative of what's been going on with the campaign, I remember all this chess beating that was going on back in the spring about how they had their billion dollars and this and that. Mm-hmm. Now we come to find out they've almost run out of money. And they're not on the air in Arizona for a month. That's inexcusable.
1: Inexcusable.
2: And you see, here's the thing, too, because I know that the, the whole thing about Trump's chances is a very, very sensitive issue, depending on what side of the partisan aisle it's on. But see, I don't care about that because the truth is the truth. Pandering to people
1: to make them feel good about the reality doesn't do anybody any favors. Yeah.
2: But I think this uh, this number, two is kind of one of the things. So in addition to talking about the strong Democratic bent of the primary yeah. vote, the Democrats. You know, doing well with voter registrations this year. The third thing to me ought to send uh, shivers down the spine of any Republican. People are in elevated numbers wanting to vote yesterday. So let mm-hmm. me give you some more specific numbers on that. And this is as of this morning's number numbers as of this morning. So. To put everything in context, 137 million people voted in the 2016 presidential election. Okay. As of this morning, in 19 states, I know that there's going to be 57 million mail-in ballot requests. Really? Yes. Because, number one, several states have opted to go all mail-in, like, say, California, uh, Washington, and Oregon have been mail-in for years. And you have several states that they're automatically going to send out millions and millions of ballots to voters to begin with. Mm -hmm. But you have other states where voters have to, on their own accord, request a ballot. And I'm seeing these crazy numbers like 2 million in Michigan, 1.5 million in Illinois, 2 million in Pennsylvania. North Carolina, as of this morning, we had 750,000 mailing ballot requests. And on and on and on. And by the way, let's not forget about that statistic I told you a half hour ago in Louisiana where— two-and-a-half times the number of those who mail and voted in 2016 are requesting ballots now. So people are wanting to vote much more by mail than they have in the past. The other statistic, which to me is indicative of what I would call the turbocharged Democratic enthusiasm... North Carolina sent out its ballots last Friday. They were the first state to do so, and they're about to be joined by other states in a week, such as Georgia. But the more salient point here is, as of this morning, 10,005 people have already voted. Wow. And the vast majority of that's from North Carolina. And this statistic, to me, Republicans ought to be jumping up and down. North Carolina voter registration-wise is split roughly down the middle, one-third Democrat, one-third Republican, one-third Independent. The partisan tilt of the 10,005 voters in North Carolina, 59% Democrat, 12% Republican. Really? And that 10,000, by the way, was a doubling yeah. from what it was yesterday and a quadrupling from what it was two days ago. Do you see this?
1: This Well, let me tell you how I've seen it. And you can tell me if you agree or disagree with this. I think the president's popularity recession has been... Largely because of Republicans walking away from him, Uh, I. There were Democrats who stayed home four years ago because they couldn't vote for either candidate. They weren't going to vote for President Trump, and they couldn't vote for Hillary Clinton. Yeah, and this go around, there are Republicans who have switched. On the president, one of those cases where they're not going to vote for Joe Biden, but they just don't know if they could vote for President Trump again. Yeah. And I see that has been because I don't know that that Joe Biden has moved a lot on the meter. He's been static. I think the president has come down and fallen below him because of some of the people who've walked away. And. Picking fights with any and everybody, including people inside of his machine, I think has hurt him some. Oh, absolutely. And social media and the mood on social media isn't always a barometer of where the nation is for a great number of reasons. There are are large numbers of people who don't offer their political opinion on social media. And there are large numbers of people who are not
2: on social media. Right. Yeah, they have their lives independent of (laughs) what rant there is on Facebook and Twitter. You know, another thing, too, which I think... I don't know if the trump campaign quite realizes this but so four years ago when hillary clinton technically got three million more votes than donald trump mm-hmm. what helped trump was that you had six percent of the vote going to third-party candidates yeah you know gary johnson yeah. uh, stein yeah. McMullen. well the third-party candidates are much less visible this year and i think given the hyper polarized atmosphere in which we are today, mm-hmm. I don't think 6% are going to go to a third party this year. I think it's going to be more like 2 or 3%. So the question you have to ask is, is that 2 or 3% going to go to Trump, or is it going to go to Biden? In other words, what Trump desperately needs to do is find a way to expand his 46%. And by the way, that was when Democratic enthusiasm was only mild in 2016, mm-hmm. because the Democrats had been president for eight years. Hillary wasn't really the best of candidates. I mean, Bernie Sanders nearly beat her. Yeah. But I think that this year the Democrats are broadly okay with Joe Biden. I mean, we me put it this way, you put Joe Biden up against Donald Trump. I could not see a single Democrat voting for Donald Trump. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. So, you know, if you're President Trump, you basically have two groups of people you have to woo, and both of them, in my opinion, it doesn't seem like he's really trying to track them. One are the independent types, and the second are these Republicans or Republican dissidents, whatever you want to call them, yes, they may be only 10 percent of the Republican electorate, but that is a vote, which in a swing state like a Georgia or Pennsylvania or Michigan, that 10 percent is literally the difference between winning or losing the state. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the if you had asked me a year ago
1: if I thought Joe Biden, who I believed was going to be the, the, the Democratic nominee, yeah. was going to beat Donald Trump, I would have told you I don't th- I don't see it. In fact, a year ago, I would have told you I I don't see I don't know that anybody could get in and give him a run short of Michelle Obama deciding to run. Right. Who is very, very popular among Democrats. And now the coronavirus has had an impact on politics, not just at the top of the ticket, but around the nation. But it seems the Trump campaign has been so undisciplined and falling back to. The media outlets that don't like the president, and let's be clear, CNN is no fan of the president and MSNBC yep. is no fan of the president. but my attitude about politics is don't complain about a problem you knew you were going to have right. <laughs> you know address the things that popped up
2: that you didn't see coming. Well, plus two, it's probably too late now, but I'm of the opinion that back in March coronavirus could have been something where President Trump could have shown some leadership and gotten additional respect as a result because i think that before 911 you were truly talking about a 50-50 nation right. where that 48% who voted for george w bush was a static figure right and i think he picked up enough goodwill from the 911 uh incident that that put him over the top
1: well he was extremely popular after 911 yes extremely popular <clears throat> and you talk about presidential politics we can go back to president obama's reelection a better Republican candidate and a better run Republican campaign. I think it would have won. And the Republican would have won. I mean, that's that's how that's how funny these things are. Mitt Romney ran, and I, you know, at the time I called him a suit dummy because that's basically what he was, as a mannequin. And I didn't see any strategy because President Obama at the time was in a bit of a rough patch.
2: Yeah. Right. And You know the funny thing about Mitt Romney is you still have people to stay who can 't understand how there are people who voted for Obama in two thousand and twelve and Hillary and uh, Trump in two thousand and sixteen and the fundamental reality here was. Obama basically painted Mitt Romney as kind of the Mon- Monty Burns type, you know, the the, the, the blood sucking capitalist. <laughs> right. And
1: then he countered that by trying to pretend that as a a, a multi millionaire, he was this you know lived this modest life where yeah. he wakes up every Saturday and makes pancakes
2: for his kids and, and just you see. The funny thing was, Trump was every has every bit the wealth, and he's unabashed. He's unashamed of it because you know, to be honest with you,
1: if most people are left to be honest about it. They all want to
2: have financial independence to the degree that they could do whatever they want, yeah. no matter what people say. I mean, being being rich is not a liability, but not having the intuitive skills to understand what people who are less affluent yeah. than you, that's where Romney really missed the boat.
1: He didn't get it. But I'll, I'll oh. tell anybody talking about, you know, look, my, money isn't everything. Well, you know what? It could get you a big house with a hell of a lot of rooms, and you can go cry in any one of <laughs> oh, them. Yeah. Uh, the
2: last, I guess, I'll, uh, the last controversial take I have. oh here we Which go. to me could be a good setup of finale yes, because there's a part two coming to this (laughs) absolutely well this will be a good segue into part two uh and i've been saying this since june i'm of the opinion that any of you who are expecting there to be election night to think of it as an election week in other words i don't know if you're necessary unless joe biden is winning by a large margin across the nation it's going to take time to count all those mail-in votes remember the 57 million i was telling you about i could easily see that number being 60 or 70 or 80 million in a couple weeks it's going to take time to count all those votes, and I don't think they'll all be counted by election night. And I'm,
1: I'm going to ask John not to elaborate because I, I, I want to have a Yellowstone-like cliffhanger here and say yeah. there will be lawsuits, and we could start 2021 not knowing who the president will be going forward.
2: Theoretically, it could get ugly. Well, uh, Let's not give it to him now. we got to yeah. set it up for part two. You I, got- I, I will say this, though. This, this to me is a valid segue to yeah. part two, because I saw this happen in multiple primaries, specifically yes. Michigan's yes. in August. The Republicans had the lead in the partisan vote on mm-hmm. election night. And with all the mail-in votes that were counted over the next week, that lead disappeared because the overtime vote, as I'm calling it, has in state after state after state been disproportionately Democratic. Right. That's why I'm talking about election week. So part two...
1: I mean, we've been talking for an hour, and that's <laughs> wow. this political stuff, man. is It's yeah. so much fun, and people enjoy it. So this, so hopefully, right now, you're enjoying this conversation, sitting out on your deck or patio or porch or whatever, and and enjoying that weather on on the Saturday before the full NFL season kicks off. But uh, tell people where they can find you on social and everywhere else.
2: Yes, so I have a Facebook page, James Enterprises. And I spend most of my time social media-wise on Twitter, where my handle is at win, W-I-N with W-I-T-H-J-M-C. And of course, I post things not only on Twitter, but on my website. In fact, I had an article I did the other day talking about what I see happening in November. He is the
1: best, and I'm looking forward to more of these conversations uh, with you. we got to get Dr. Sam back on with us Definitely. next time we do this as well. J.C., I appreciate you coming in, bud. Always a
0: pleasure.
3: Podcast225.com.
0: This is Jeff LaDuff, retired chief of police for the city of Baton Rouge.
3: I'm Kelly LaDuff, co-owner of Open Eyes Safety Training and Consulting. Open Eyes is focused on providing quality safety solutions that give businesses and employees the skill set needed to recognize and react to dangerous situations.
0: On a daily basis, we hear yet another story of workplace violence or active shooter. OpenEyes offers a unique approach to keeping you and your businesses safe through site analysis, technology recommendations,
3: policy review, and employee training. To set up a consultation for your business, call us today at 225-313-9713 or visit us at our website at OpenEyeSafetyTraining.com. We say keep open
0: eyes because 10% of our population cause 90% of our problems. See them before they see you.
1: Clay Young here with John Conroy, the founder and owner of Pest Stop, your do-it-yourself pest control solution. With locations in Baton Rouge and New Orleans, John, a lot of people, yours truly included, have seen their lawns turn brown and are about to make a huge mistake by spending a bunch of money on something that is likely not even the solution. Yeah, I'm really glad you called. You helped me with that. I did, Let's talk about it. And, And this is why we've been around for 27 years. I mean, right. We'd love for people to come in and talk to us about what is really going on before mm-hmm. they go spend a bunch of money.
2: Right. Not every job is a
1: do-it-yourself job, and we'll be the first one to tell you whether it is or it's not. That's right. What you're talking about is sod webworms, okay. and it has nothing to do with a lawn maintenance company coming out and driving holes in the ground. Right. You'll kill some moles, but right. you're not going to solve your problem. Right, right. So. You're talking about spraying the entire yard Mm -hmm. with a synthetic pyrethroid, and that will solve your problem. In the Baton Rouge area, where can I find you? In Baton Rouge, we're located at 806 O'Neill Lane. That's about a block south of Old Hammond Highway. Or if you just have questions, give us a call at 273-4788, because we really can help you with that.
0: This is the Clay Young Show.
1: Well, that was a good one. Setting it up for part number two. John will be back and we'll talk about those election night problems that likely will happen. It's going to be a cluster. (laughs) And I think most people know it. If you don't know it, you haven't been paying attention. They're already talking about lawsuits. So we'll see. But we'll talk more about that. And then we'll try to reach out to Kyle Ardwan, who is the secretary of state here in Louisiana. He is the elections general and ask him about the Louisiana's game plan for, for what this process is going to be like. Hey, it well, I'm not going to t- – I don't want to give it away now.
2: I'll
1: make you wait until we have that conversation, part two of my conversation with John. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter, at ClayYoungBR, Instagram, Clay underscore YoungBR, and on Facebook. Share the word about the podcast and what we are doing here Hopefully you and your family are safe,
0: and I hope you keep it that way. We'll catch you next time here on The Clay Young Show. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.